It's great to be talking to you a little bit about the Holy Spirit as we do this series in Acts. And um, Alan did a great talk last week just uh, summarizing and reminding us because we started this journey uh, this time last year and then we took a break for a couple of different reasons and so we're back on it. So if you don't know or you weren't here last week, I'd really encourage you to listen to that talk because it'll give you a good feel for where we are at um, in this series. But... um, it's all about unfolding the Great Commission, and what I'm looking at specifically this morning is is some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit um, was working in and through the church. <clears throat> and uh, as I was saying last week, it is the Holy Spirit and the Spirit alone that birthed the church, that Jesus, even when he said to his disciples um, that he was going, he said, I don't want you to do anything, I want you to wait, because when the Spirit comes, he's going to empower and equip you for everything that I've called you to do. And so we know that the Great Commission, which is what we're talking about this morning, unfolding the Great Commission, is all about taking the good news of Jesus, the reality that we can live in because of what Jesus did on the cross, taking that into the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so um, you see that the Spirit comes in power at Pentecost, and when the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives, they're changed and transformed. And so I think we had this little quote um, last week as well. There we go. <clears throat> the key to understanding Acts seems to be in Luke's interest in this movement orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of the gospel from its Jerusalem-based Judaism-orientated beginnings to its becoming a worldwide Gentile predominant phenomenon. And so each, each forward thrust of the church, each thing that changes physically or structurally, is placed within the context of the Holy Spirit at work in and through and with people. Um, and so if we see Pentecost as a one-off event, we'll miss the whole point of it. We'll misunderstand um, the book of Acts. If we see baptism in the Holy Spirit as a one-off event, again, we will miss the way in which the Spirit moves and works. And, and in fact, what we need to do is, is view the Pentecost moment as being the arrival uh, of the Holy Spirit and the remaining of the Holy Spirit. It is that point in which the Holy Spirit came and made his residence with humanity and stayed. So everything else that follows after that is the work of God's Spirit in and through people, bringing change and transformation. And when we see a change in direction, when we see maybe um, a change in structure, when we see changes um, where there's even conflict and, and disagreement, we will also see that the Holy Spirit is at work through people. And the Holy Spirit was there at the very start of, of creation. He saw the way things were meant to be. It says in Genesis that the Spirit hovered over the deep. The, the Spirit hovered over creation and over Eden. And one of the roles that the Holy Spirit does is to actually look at us as humanity and think, I know what these guys are supposed to look like. So what the, the Spirit does is a work of restoration. And uh, one of the, the few positive things about social media is that people very often put up restoration projects, and I love that. 
So you'll see like a photograph of a really old beat up car and then it'll be completely restored and it'll be amazing. Some of you might be into tractors um, and you'll see them, <coughs> who cares, um, being restored. For me, it's like old bicycles. So you see this really old bicycle restored to like perfect pristine condition. You think, wow, that is amazing. Uh, and, and paintings as well, when they're restored. What, what happens is for anything that is restored, it's brought back to the way that it was designed to be. The way the, the artist or the original um, creator of that thing decided, this is what I want to create, this is what I want it to look like. Um, and they were very specific in that way. But over time, things uh, get worn, get worn out, they get grubby, and they start to look less and less like the uh, creator's intended purpose. And so I'll give you an example here with the Mona Lisa. So some people and some artists reckon this is more what the Mona Lisa was supposed to look like. And so the vibrancy of the colors and, and the, the textures and the complexion are all completely different. Some people are good at restoration, and some people aren't. So um, this is a very famous uh, piece of art on, on the left. Uh, this is a very infamous version of it on the right. But it's actually the same fresco. And so what happened in this lovely little Spanish church, and there's this uh, beautiful painting of, of Jesus. It was done in the 19th century, and it kind of got to the stage that was in the middle there. And a little old lady looked up at it one day and thought, you know, I think we should really fix that. I'm going to go and actually sort that out. And so she did. And she decided that using whatever skills she had, just to shame her a little bit more, her name was uh, Cecilia Jimenez. And um, she wanted to do something good, something positive. She loved Jesus and she loved this church and she decided to bless it with her gifts. And so the purpose of restoration is to restore things back to their original design. But she was not the original designer, nor did she have the skill or the ability to restore something really well. And it might well be that actually she thought those two things looked the same because her eyesight was pretty bad. She was, uh, I love the word octogenarian. Like it's just brilliant. She was, she was over 80. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what happens when people try to restore things. But what we have to realize is that, that so much of what Jesus does in our life through the Holy Spirit is a work of restoration. God sees us in our created, our intended purpose, uh, and he's calling us back to that. And he's carefully taking off the layers of, of dirt and dust and, and mess from the world and the mistakes that we make and the hurt done to us through other people. But he's restoring us. And so spiritually, what should happen over time is that we start to not really recognize ourselves. And that people will say things to us like, you've, you've really changed. There's something different about you. You know, what is that? I, I knew you years ago and now you're better and like, don't be offended. So, you know what I mean? It's like, what has happened? It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, changing and transforming us. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out again and again in the church and the people are changed and transformed. And so when we read the Bible and we read about Peter, the guy that hung around with Jesus, that 
was quick-tempered, that denied Jesus three times, that, you know, seemed to be all over the place. He then, as the Holy Spirit brings change and transformation to him, is a person who goes on to lead the church. And he's still a work in progress. And if you read Acts, you'll see that he he doesn't always get it right. He's a work in progress, but he's changing. He's being transformed. But there's something about us. There's this little bit in us that doesn't like that, that actually we're not even secure enough in our identity and the fact that God loves us for to allow change and transformation to happen because we, we're almost slightly offended by it. What do you mean I have to change? What do you mean? Am I, am I not good enough? You know, is this, and, and we struggle a bit with the idea that, that there's something not quite right with us. But if you were the person, Leonardo da Vinci, who, who painted the Mona Lisa, and you saw it <laughs> way down the line, and people thought it was amazing. And you're like, no, it's not. It used to look absolutely fantastic. And if you were the original artist, you wouldn't want people to look at it like that on the left. You'd want people to see it in all of its glory. And so what, what Jesus does in our life and through the work of the Spirit is to never stop bringing us to a place of increased beauty and transformation and change. And, and part of us likes, doesn't like that. Part of us just wants to stay the same. We don't want to change. We don't want to be transformed necessarily. But it's God's will and God's desire not to leave us in our broken state, but to bring us into increasing places of health. And so a little quotation just to help us with that <clears throat> from J.I. Packer. And it says, The Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging and worship and outgoing and witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. Because everything is a work of the Spirit. We're all a work of the Spirit. And our passage today um, in Acts, we're going to look a little um, about that. And so uh, I just want to do, for context sake, <clears throat> a little thing from uh, Acts 11, which says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travel, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News about this reached the church in Jerusalem, (coughs) and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and he found him, and he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met in the church and taught great numbers of people. Um, 
the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so the context um, of a little passage that I want to look at now is the fact that the church was spreading, it was growing, it grew through persecution. It originally just was a movement within uh, Jewish people, but also other people started to come to faith from outside of um, Judaism, and a lot of this happened in and around Antioch. And so the passage I just want to focus on slightly more this morning says that now <clears throat> in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, um, Manen, I don't, I'm not good at names either, who had brought up, um, who was brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and saw while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And so I want you to notice that while they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul. And then again, the two of them were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And the way that this passage is written, the Holy Spirit is Barnabas, Saul, the Holy Spirit is another person in the story. He's all over the story. He's in the story all of the time. And he's referred to not as a thing, not as an it, not as a power, but as a person who is always at work in all of the stories, in all of the movements and decisions that happen in this um, story in, in Acts. And so we see that the Spirit is not just there for power, for us to feel something physically, although when he comes, we do feel his power. <clears throat> But when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to setting people apart, when it comes to imparting leadership and authority, when it comes to revealing sin, when it comes to appointing leaders, when it comes to um, power over demonic forces, Holy Spirit, as a person, is always at work. He's there in every single uh, moment. And what we need to realize is that that is essential, that we learn to cooperate and work with and function alongside Holy Spirit as if he is someone who is a member of our congregation, but also God. He's someone that we can talk to, interact with, that involve in our conversations, in our decisions. And the reason why he is, is because we are a new and continually being transformed humanity. We are people of the Spirit. And so for us to function outside of the work of the Spirit doesn't really actually make any sense. Why would we rely on our own energy, our own strength, our own intellect, our own decision-making processes if we have the Holy Spirit available to work alongside us and to guide us and to bring change and transformation in us? We are people who are constantly being changed and transformed. And so the Bible talks about this in a slightly different way, and it uses um, this idea, this concept of, of the, the, the wine of the Spirit being poured out into new wineskins, and that we are the, the receptacles, the church becomes the receptacle of God's Spirit and God's presence. So read about this and look, and, and he says, um, Jesus says, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will be torn 
they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And so if we are to be people who receive the power of the Spirit, who are transformed, who um, have something to impart to others, we've got to realize that the new wine of the Spirit, the presence of God in and through us, requires us to be new wineskins and renewed wineskins that can cope with the stretching and the changing and the transformation that God wants to do and how he wants to move. But it's not just us as, as individual people who get changed and transformed. It's the church as well. The church is, in, is a new wineskin. And the, the thing about that is then that we have to be okay with, with church changing, with the shape of church changing, with the function, with the location of, of a church changing. We have to be okay with that because it's always on the move. It's always being transformed. It's, it's a missional movement. And so we expect things to be different. But part of us doesn't really want that. Part of us would like things to be the same, would like ourselves to be the same. And this journey uh, creates a certain level of fear and apprehension. You know, could you just not make things stable and, and could we not just chill for a while? And, and so even we as a church uh, over the last couple of years have been on this journey of being okay with things changing. So we started the church a couple of years ago. Where are we going to meet? So we end up meeting in the High Street Mall. And over the time we've met in units, uh, our kids' ministry have, be, have been in units up and down the mall. We took over this space recently. We've changed spaces here. We've turned layout things around there. And even simple things like that at times create anxiety. And, and we think, well, why does things have to change? And we know that in a number of months' time, we'll not even be here, that this, this unit will be bulldozed. And in a very simple way, what we have to ask is, what is God teaching us through that? How do we understand him and the way that he moves? What's important and what's not? Is it important that we have a big sign and a fancy building? And that we have the most comfortable seats? Or is it more important about what's going on inside of people and what's going on inside of hearts, lives, and hearts being changed and transformed? And it's not that, that buildings and stuff like that are unimportant. I think about that sort of stuff a lot. But compared to what God wants to do to bring change and transformation to society, to see the world turned upside down and turned towards him, these things are, are, are actually unimportant. We've got to be flexible. We've got to be willing to be moved by God. Because in his church and through the people in it, he wants to reveal himself to the entire world. Um, and so it even says uh, in Ephesians 3, his intent is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known. The manifold wisdom of God is to be known through us and how God is working in us and how God is working through us. And that's a big thing to live up to. That's something that we cannot do on our own. And so how we 
function and how we operate and cooperate with the Spirit becomes vitally important. <clears throat> and so God is, is restoring and, and bringing about a new humanity and, and a revelation of the way things should be through us. And so at an individual level, we'd all love to be renewed. But what we have to realize, and the slightly more uncomfortable truth, is that how we relate to each other and how we function as a church body is part of that renewal process, it's part of that revelation, it's part of that wisdom to the world, that when the world looks at the church, they should see something of Jesus and think, wow, look at how those people relate to each other. Look at how those people love each other, how they respect each other. In our relationships with each other, people should look and say, there has to be something beyond people being nice, and it should point them towards God. And some of us would rather that wasn't the case. Sometimes I would rather that wasn't the case because I'm not always easy to get on with. And some of you actually, believe it or not, are not always easy to get on with. And, and sometimes the church becomes the, the place where a lot of wrong things, a lot of bad things and terrible things happen. And <clears throat> there's a lot of brokenness. And yet the Holy Spirit has decided to rest upon us. God has decided to move in and through us to reveal himself to the world. There's a little quote from Francis Chan. It says, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes a purely human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and church can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. We have to be something that shows a revelation of God's goodness which means we need to deal with brokenness in ourselves and brokenness in each other, that we have to represent Jesus corporately as well as, as individually. And, and, and like particularly in this country, when we've had so much religious baggage, in, in a way, what we want to do is to point at other churches that we don't like and other Christians that we don't like and tell people that we're not like them. That's how we deal with this problem. We say, oh yeah, you, I know you've had a really bad experience with this kind of Christian or this kind of church or this kind of religious stuff, but we're not like them. We're like this. We're really so much better than them over there. And the more difficult thing for us is that the people that we think we're not like and the people that we do not like are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to learn how to love them well enough that we all together become a witness to the world of God's goodness. And we can only do that through the work of the Spirit. Uh, and then we've got to not just look like Jesus as a church. We need to look like Jesus wherever it is that God has placed us. In the context of where we are, we have to be able to be Christians in every single environment in society. People have to encounter the Holy Spirit through us. And, and so Jesus talks about this in, uh, oh, there in a little parable um, on the kingdom. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed um, into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked its way through all of the dough. And so wherever you ha are and wherever you have been placed by God, you are worked in like yeast 
that will cause a very small amount of yeast will cause a big batch of bread to actually grow and flourish. And if Christians are weaved into every aspect of society, what we should see is that things start to change. Not because we are amazing, but because God is amazing, and because the spirit of the living God is in us and through us and working um, through us to, to reveal God's nature to others. Because the Holy Spirit knows the way to go. With the Holy Spirit becomes, comes wisdom. With the Holy Spirit comes the power to change and transform. When the Holy Spirit moves in and through us, we should expect to see Christians being at the forefront of societal change. We should expect to see families in our street and our neighborhood changed. In these uncertain times, it's Christians who need to have some of the answers and need to be part of the answers and need to, to learn to partner with other people who have some of the answers to the brokenness that we face in our society, particularly things around, like if you, if you take Northern Ireland as an example, our health service is about, about to fall apart. Where is the wisdom of heaven in, in that environment? Where are the people who are carrying the presence of heaven into that environment? Our education system is struggling too. Well, where are the teachers and the classroom assistants and, and the civil servants with the wisdom of heaven in them bringing change and transformation? If we have the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God within us, we should expect to see that. I expect to see Christians at the forefront of trying to figure out how to save our environment. I, you know, we should expect that. We should be praying for Christians who have the wisdom of heaven to figure out innovative and creative solutions to deal with some of the massive environmental issues that are in our world. Because we need more than worldly wisdom. We need heavenly wisdom. And if heavenly wisdom resides with us, then we should expect to see it in every environment of our society. But at times what happens for us in the church, is that, that we detach ourselves and we gather together in our little Sunday morning environments and, and we do our church and Christian thing here. But we don't know how to do it out there. The other six and three quarters days of the week, we're unsure. And yet the same Holy Spirit who's in you right now, who you experience and feel and sense in worship right now, is in you six and three quarter days of the week. He's in you in your home and your family situation. He's in you in your work situation and a social situation. Wherever God has placed you, he is with you. And what we need is a church which is operational seven days a week, where when you go into the environment, you think, wow, there's an amazing solution. Was there a Christian involved in that? Was there the wisdom of heaven involved in that? There should be. There should be. And it's not that we're better than anybody else or smarter than anybody else, but in a way, in a way, we should expect that there is an added thing. You see, if there's not an added thing in us, if we are just as smart as we can be or as wise as we can be, then we're not really doing this thing. You know, if we're really honest, unless we're bringing something more to the table in the environments that God has placed us, we're missing out. 
Jesus died on the cross, right? He died for our sin, to pay the price of our sin. But what he died for was not for our sin. It was for us. It was for a relationship with us. He came to, get, to come so we could experience relationship with God in all of its fullness. And so we should never settle for salvation. Salvation is not what Jesus was about. He was about, so salvation is just a context for restoration. God is about the restoration of humanity. Salvation gets us in the door, but it's in the door of God's kingdom. And it's everything that comes after that. It's a revelation of God's goodness. It's a revelation of our purpose and our identity. It's a revelation of our, of our stewardship of the earth. And it comes with the person of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do these things, to think about what it looks like for the kingdom of heaven, the way things God, the way things God says are, or the way things are in heaven, coming here on earth all of the time. That's what we're about. And when we try to do it in our own strength, it's not going to work. Um, so this is a little Corey Ten Boom, fantastic missionary and uh, activist uh, during, uh, in Holland during the Second World War. But she said that trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. You see, we owe the world an encounter with God, not an encounter with us on our best day. But how do we navigate this deeply confusing and difficult world? I was thinking about Satnav, and uh, I had to go and pick up somebody this morning from a place I didn't normally uh, pick them up from, and so I put on the Satnav because it was late, and the Satnav told me how to get there. It said, turn left here, drive a mile there, turn right there, go here, go there. And it got me to the right place. And do you know that how the Holy Spirit works is nothing to do with the way Satanav works? Absolutely nothing to do. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is not Satanav for your life. And nor should it be. Do you know what happens if you use Satanav over a long period of time? You don't know how to get anywhere. You don't know where anywhere is because in your ear constantly you have been giving step by step by step by step directions. The only thing that Satnav teaches you is to how to obey Satnav. It's very important that we understand that. What Holy Spirit wants to teach you is how to navigate, how to know the right way to go how to make the right decisions, how to figure out things with the wisdom of heaven and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's more, it's more like navigation. It's more like being able to see and understand the stars and navigate from one point to another. We're not called to just be carbon copies of each other. And carbon copies is, you know, if you're a good Christian, you can do this, do this, do this. We're called to flourish in everything that God has made us and who he has made us to be and live in the fullness of that. And it's the Holy Spirit speaking in and through you that's going to enable you to live in the fullness of your God-given purpose. 
And we have to be willing to be led and to be guided at times with little bits of instruction here and there. But you know that God trusts you enough for you to make your own decisions? That God has given you enough wisdom that he knows you're going to know the right way to go. You're going to know his will in certain situations because you know him. You know, I have three children, and my desire for them is not that they'll do exactly what I tell them for the rest of their lives, but it's that in telling them the right way to go, they'll figure out the right way to go themselves. And I think that, that but, I'll, but I'll always be there for them. I'll always be there alongside them to give them guidance and help and strength in whatever way I can. And for too long, I think the church has, has tried to be like a satnav for people. Just do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. That's not the way things are. The, the early Celtic church used to call the Holy Spirit the wild goose. Because it turns out you can't, you can't train a goose, right? Um, you can't make it a household pet. And so we follow someone who, who, who is free. And we're called to walk in the steps and in the way of freedom too. And so what that looks like for you is going to be unique. We're not going to all be the same. But we're all going to reflect the heart of Jesus in the environments that we're in. And so just um, as, as the band is coming up, um, we want to just lean into a little bit more worship this morning. And, and my question for you is, do you know the Holy Spirit's voice? Can you hear him? Do you involve him in, in your decision making? Do you recognize that the wisdom of heaven is here for you? Are you willing to be changed and to be transformed? Or is there a part of you that's almost slightly offended by the fact that God might want to change you? That actually you, you're probably going to look different in a year or two years' time. You're probably going to behave differently, have different attitudes, because you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And maybe, maybe we need to be more okay with that. Maybe we need to be more okay with the fact that we don't know everything. You might have been a Christian for 30 years. You don't know everything. There's more for you to know. Are we okay with the ways in which God wants to change us and transform us and bring us into his likeness? It's only when we do these things that we're going to be able to fulfill and live out the Great Commission to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done. When I look at the mess and brokenness in the world, I think we need God and we need revival. But we don't just need the experience of that. Our world needs revived people. Our world needs every single person in this room revived, changed, empowered, equipped to bring God's kingdom wherever they are. That's what revival, true revival, will look like. It will look like something a lot more that happens out there six and three quarter days of the week than it will something that, that happens in here. What happens in here will just be part of the process. But what happens out there, that's where things really, really start to bring change, where Jesus walks with us and amongst us, bringing life. So why don't we stand, and we're going to worship, and um, we've got kind of 10 or 15 minutes. We're going to take communion as part of that too. 
Let's be responsive to what God wants to say to us this morning.